Welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we have a very, very special guest on. Um, I've been trying to get a hold of this young lady for quite some time. Uh, I've been uh, admiring from a long distance of her work. Uh, they've been doing some excellent things in Baltimore City, and this needs, story needs to be told. And I think people need to hear the positive things that are going on in Baltimore. You hear all this negative stuff about Baltimore, let's bring it home positivity and something that's stand up for people. Ms. Gretchen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And uh, Ms. Gretchen, tell the people who you are and where you're from. Well, I'm from Baltimore right now. I'm not originally from Baltimore. I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania and moved to Baltimore after college. I came here in about 1998 and thought, you know, maybe I'll stay here for a few years, five years, see how it goes. And we're going on, what is it, 2020 and I'm still here. So wow. Baltimore is home now. That's nice. Mm-hmm. That's real nice. That's, that's a beautiful thing. So what are some of the things that um, you, I brought you here because you're doing some big things in the community. Let's talk about Runners for, well, actually, we, we will talk about Runners for Justice. What is that? So Runners for Justice is a running group that myself and a couple other friends founded, I guess, about three years ago now, and now I'm the main organizer for it. And so with Runners for Justice, it's a running group that's about social and racial justice in Baltimore and using running to raise awareness of social and racial injustice that's happening Um, I host monthly running tours. So I call them running tours because I don't want people to think it's a race. You have to run fast. You have to run a long time. It's a running tour. So each run will have a different topic and theme. And we're running a little bit, stopping somewhere, talking about things, continuing our route. It's great because uh, I got invited to go for a run and I can't run. (laughs) My knees are shot. But thank you for explaining that. We're going to rewind a little bit. So mm-hmm. how did you get involved with like this racial and social justice? Were you, was this something you did in college? Was this something that you took from college and brought it to Baltimore? Give a little background about it. I think for me, um, I guess it's something I've sort of always been interested in, but I got more formally involved just like the past, I guess the past few years. I think that especially after the uprising that happened, after the death of Freddie Gray, Um, It was kind of a moment for me to take a look at what am I doing in my community and in this city, um, and is it enough? Um, Because after that uprising happened, it was clear to me that whatever we've all been doing isn't enough. And so I wanted to get more involved from that point. So this wasn't something you learned and you did in college or anything? Did you ever think yourself would be doing something like this? I guess not. No, I mean, I'm I'm a social worker, and so kind of that whole idea of making the community better um, was always my, one of my ideas, but I never, yeah, I never really envisioned this. This has kind of evolved, and it's it's been really exciting. Now, how did you educate yourself on this? How did you get yourself so you could understand the issues, the social issues, the racial injustices? How did you mm-hmm. learn about that? So through a few different ways. I mean, some of it's been more formal. I did a workshop um, a couple of years ago now through Baltimore Racial Justice Action. They do these workshops um, for people of color and for white people and learning about First, like the history of Maryland and Baltimore and the, the racial injustices that have happened. And then it's also sort of like a personal looking at yourself and what kind of ideas and prejudices and racism do you hold. Um, and so it's like a really great like learning. It's over a course of a few months, you learn these different things and then they have you come up with an action plan. So like now you have this knowledge, what are you going to do? And so that's been one of the ways I started to learn about the history of Baltimore. Um, and then it's been a lot of, you know, reading and talking to people and people I meet along the way who will bring issues to my attention that I want to learn more about. So you just blew my mind right there. I didn't know there was a class out there for that. Mm-hmm. How do you, yeah. how do you find out? Like, like no offense. I mean, I'm yeah. thinking to myself, like, 
I've never heard this before. Mm-hmm. And I think this would be a great class for people who are doing group projects or work together, just to understand things a little bit better and things of that nature. How did you find out about it, this class? I'm just curious. I can't, I'm trying to think even how people ask me that all the time, like, how do I hear about things? And I think just from different things I follow on Facebook and on Instagram, things come to my attention. So um, I think I originally heard about Baltimore Racial Justice Action because they do these 13th of the month events and they do a free event every 13th of the month around different issues of race in Baltimore. And so I went to some of those events and then heard about the workshops that they do and decided to take the workshop. So when did you become part of Runners for Justice? Like, what was the time where you're like, this is my calling. I want to be a part of this. This is a movement. I, I love what they're talking about. This is me. Mm-hmm. So with Runners for Justice, it came out of, it was just after Trump was elected into office. and A lot of things have happened. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so Kevin Plank, who is the CEO of Under Armour in Baltimore, and also um, Sagamore Development, which has done some questionable development in Baltimore, um, he was on a small business committee that Trump organized, and he was kind of in the paper talking about how he thinks Trump is going to be good for Baltimore. And it started with me kind of going on Facebook and just saying, I'm ready to boycott Under Armour. Who's with me? Nice, nice. Okay. And it just kind of, that post got a lot of attention, but then from there, it ended up being three of my friends who really were like, yeah, let's sit down and talk about this. We're all runners. Under Armour sponsors a lot of races. We have a lot of Under Armour gear. How can we do something around you know, that issue. And so people will probably ask, what did you do with all that gear? Did you keep it? Did you donate it? That- I know we, we all decided as a group to keep it because okay. we didn't want to be wasteful. Okay. And none of us have the money to go replace all of that stuff. But what we started to do was to use masking tape to put an X over the logo. Wow. So that way it, it draws the conversation. Like why, why is that tape on your shirt? Why are you covering up the Under Armour logo? And let's us kind of have that conversation with people about what we feel. So this is the grass movement right here that started just among friends. And how has it evolved since when you started doing that and talking about that? Because that's very interesting. I did not know that until you just said that. Um, Grass movement, how did it start and how is it growing so far? Right. So our first event was there's a race called the Soul of the City 10K which is sponsored by Under Armour. And so we started with trying to do, our first idea was to kind of do protests through running. And so we took on this race, a couple of us signed up to run it, and then we got some non-runners who are activists who agreed to be on the sidelines and have some posters and signs that were against Under Armour, against Port Covington, kind of saying people over profit, things like that. And so we ran the race, we printed shirts that just said, um, on the front they said, not in my house. And on the back, they said, ask me why, why Under Armour is bad for Baltimore. And so we ran the race with these shirts on, tried to engage folks in conversation, and then at the same time had the protest cheerers along the side cheering us along, but then also holding protest signs to kind of get the conversation going. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love this. This, this. this is what it's about being American. You know, America's your civil liberties. You can do whatever you want. Freedom of speech. I love that. And I love that you're getting a message out there. Because a lot of people are going to say, doesn't affect me. I, I don't care. It's not. And by you taking that class, you learned a lot about social and racial injustices mm-hmm. from everybody in your standpoint and understanding, hey, I may be white, but I got to understand what's going on, what they're going through, you know, the Freddie Gray situation, all that stuff. So I know you guys are really, really heavy in a certain court case. Mm-hmm. And I really, really want I, you can however you want to talk about it. Um because I've seen you guys protest for things. And please explain about this court case that's really major and 
talk a little bit about it for our listeners. Absolutely. Because a lot of my listeners are not from Baltimore. Right. Uh, a lot of my listeners are from New York, California, and mm-hmm. I'm sure they can relate to some of these stories. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And so the court case is involving Keith Davis Jr., um, and yeah, if you're not aware of his case, you can Google him. There's been some excellent coverage. Um, you can listen to the Undisclosed podcast, which really lays out the whole case. Um, but Keith Davis Jr., basically, he was the first person shot at by Baltimore City Police after they killed Freddie Gray. Um, it happened in June of 2015. He's been held since then. Um, it's been an ongoing. It's been an ongoing case. Um, he's been falsely accused and of of a murder that he did not commit. It started off with him being accused of an armed robbery that he was found not, not guilty of, and then they turned around and tried to connect him to a murder um, based on a gun that was found near him after he was involved in the shootout with police. Police, Baltimore police shot at him 40 times and hit him three times. Wait, wait, wait. Let's, 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 let's rewind this real quick. Mm-hmm. Did you just say he got shot at 40 times? Yes. And he's still alive right now? Yes. He was hit three times. Was so so. To continue the story, he the gun was found near him, and they connected him to a murder. Yes, yes, he was he was being there was a separate armed robbery that happened. Um, this was over in West Baltimore um, near um, Park Heights near Pimlico Racecourse, and um, a taxi a, a hack driver was being robbed and caught the attention of police and police started to chase people. A hack rider just for everybody for anybody. It's like a gypsy it's a gypsy cab. That's all. It's a Baltimore thing. When you if you if you ever come visit Baltimore you hear somebody say hack, hack, it's a gypsy cab. That's all this. So sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. And so police started a foot chase and a bunch of people ran. Um, and they ended up chasing Keith down an alley into a garage. It's a Sunday morning, so it was like a mechanics garage and so it wasn't open. So he was hiding out in the garage um, the police were thinking he was the armed robber, which he wasn't. And that later got proven in court that he wasn't. But in that chase, they started shooting at him. They fired at him about 40 rounds. Um, they claimed that they were shooting because he was shooting at them. It turned out they did find a gun in that garage, but that gun had never been fired. Um, and they tried to link that gun to a murder that happened earlier in the day and to say that Keith committed that murder. So was, did he ever shoot at them at all or at this point? No, he did not. Folks, again, <laughs> this is why this run called thing runs for justice out here. Wow, I, you know, I've read a little bit about the story. I never, never really got into it, and I know um, young lady by the name Amelia, right? And I'm a fan of her work. Like I've listened to it, and I was like, this is a crazy story, like unbelievable. And this is one of your major projects that you guys are working on right now, putting this story to light. And this is another venue of. Bring the story to light. Um, I don't know how many of our friends listen to Undisputed, but I'm. this is why we're here. I want you to talk about it. So he's still in jail right now. What's going on? Where are we at? I heard he got retried how many times? And he's still in jail. What's going on? So yeah, there have been there have been several there have been several trials. Um, they've ended in mistrials and hung juries. There was one trial that ended in a conviction on the murder charge, and then the conviction was overturned. Um, because it turned out that the evidence used against him to say that he had committed the crime, it turned out to be that that evidence came from a jailhouse snitch, a known jailhouse snitch. And the state's attorneys had not disclosed this to the judge, the information about this person who 
kind of basically travels around the country trying to get his own sentence reduced, saying that people have confessed things to him in prison. And it turned out they were never even in the same cell, never had had any contact with each other. There was no way he could have had the information he had. And so the judge overturned that conviction. And, but with each time it's gotten a mistrial or a hung jury or been overturned, the way, the way the law works is kind of crazy, but the way it's happened is that it hasn't been thrown out. It's still been left open to retry. And so this past summer, they tried his case again, and that's when Undisclosed was covering it, and that's when I met Amelia. Um, and so he was found guilty at his last trial this past summer. And the sentencing hearing is this coming Friday, um, was at the 29th. And so that's the thing that um, Kelly Davis, it's his wife, she's an amazing, amazing advocate. She is such a strong person. Um, and Team Keith, that's what kind of all the advocates on his side call themselves Team Keith, um, are, mo are organizing a very big court support for the 29th because his attorneys are gonna be filing motions to overturn the current verdict and get him a retrial. So we're really hoping that that happens. Um, if not, that afternoon, they're going to be sentencing him for something he didn't commit. And folks, when this, just a little, I will give an update on this story on when this pod does come out because the verdict and everything will, not the verdict, but the sentencing part will be out by the time uh, this comes out and I will have some more information for you guys. Uh, so this this Friday, the 29th of February, uh, 28th, 28th or 29th? 28th. 28th. Leave year. Leave year. So that's good to know because that's something mm -hmm. I'm going to keep a tab on, on my side of learning. And what, so with that, what's another case that you guys are working on? Is there any other cases in Baltimore that has, that has got you guys eyes looking at what's going on? That's been that's been the main one that we've been that we've been following right now. Has been Keith Davis Jr.'s trial, um, and one of the things you know I think right now Marilyn Mosby's office, the state she's our state's attorney, has gotten a lot of press around getting people who've been wrongfully convicted out of jail, and that's part of the infuriating thing of this project process is we're seeing her put someone who's being wrongfully convicted in jail, while at the same time she's helping to get people out who've been put in there wrongfully. Does anybody really know what's going on with this? Is there like a vendetta or somebody? Does somebody just you know, uh, better for a better word, pissing her cup. That that's why she keeps on going after this young man. I mean, I'm just curious. I don't really know too much. Right, about the story. right. And I feel that at least from the advocates, from our point of view, it's that it's that yeah, the state attorney's office has dug their heels in on this one. Rather than rather than admit the police misconduct, all the misconduct behind it, they've dug their heels in. Um, and unfortunately for the man who was murdered, Kevin Jones, his family's not really getting true justice because we're still not we still don't know who killed Kevin Jones. And does Kevin Jones' family think that Keith did it or not? Um, yes, because that's what they're being told by the state's attorney's office, is that this this is the person who killed your loved one and that these advocates are trying to get a criminal set free. Um, and so that's unfair on that side as well because we're not really getting justice for his family. Wow. And just to give people a little background about Baltimore, um, every city has its issues. <clears throat> but with Baltimore, we have some issues. We have some issues with some police issues that have been going on. And we've had uh, we had a police gang that was planting guns, stealing drugs, reselling drugs on the streets of Baltimore. So you can only imagine, you know, what's going on through Miss Davis and Mr. Keith Davis and the runs for justice saying, hey, if they can do this, what's the, what's to say that this guy, Keith, has not done anything at all? So we have got, we have a lot of conflicting things going on in Baltimore. That's, I mean, if you guys want to look it up, I mean, it's there. It's a great... Interesting read, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what happens this Thursday, this Friday coming up. So, on another note, 
you guys do a great thing with ceasefire work weekend. Ceasefire, you want to explain ceasefire? Sure. So yeah, ceasefire is a movement in Baltimore. It happens four times a year, every um, April, November, February, and May, four times a year. Um, it's a grassroots movement. It was started by kind of a group of five people in Baltimore, but it's grassroots. It's not just, you know, one group of people doing it. And it's all about challenging Baltimore to be peaceful during that weekend. And the ultimate aim is to reduce the violence in Baltimore, but it's to say that we're all a part of this. Like how we interact with each other, how we solve conflicts in our lives, you know, we're all a part of that. And it's like believing that it's the more that we're intentional in how we interact with people and planning uplifting things in our communities, that that raises the vibration in our city and that that's going to be something really meaningful towards ending the violence in our city. So how do you feel about... Just from your point of view, you're working with Cease, cease Violence and um, Ceasefire Weekend. Last time, it was a heavy weekend of violence. Mm-hmm. How does that work on your psyche for a, a group like you, like you guys? Um, does it where do you want to give up? Where, what, what happens mentally after all the, like a mm-hmm. violent weekend where you're working so hard and putting the word out and walking corners and doing things in nature? What do mm-hmm. you, like, how do you tell a group, mm-hmm. let's keep pushing? And I think that what happens is, yes, it's, it's devastating whenever, it's devastating any time a life is lost in Baltimore, and especially during the ceasefire weekends, because we're all being so intentional and really paying attention to it more than we always do. Um, but I think at the same time, we have seen, there was actually just research that came out that showed in numbers that the ceasefire weekends are decreasing violence. Um, and so there's that, that that's true. And I think that just because some violence happens during the weekend does not mean that what we're doing isn't working. And I think, too, I invite anyone who isn't sure about it to like come out to ceasefire events. They do these sacred space rituals whenever someone is murdered. Um, and then during the ceasefire weekends, there are you know hundreds of events happening all over the city. And so I feel that if when you come out and you meet your neighbors and you get engaged in these activities and you feel the energy, you feel the shift that's happening. And so it's devastating when someone gets murdered, but... We're still, we're still making a difference and we still need to keep it up. So I will say that the first time I've ever participated in this was uh, the last ceasefire event. And that's when I reached out to you and mm-hmm. through a mutual friend. Shout out to Monica. She's been in a couple of these pods. And I was really blown away by so many people that you had the group of people that are runners over there. Mm-hmm. And what other thing that blew me away was that it was a very good mixed crowd. And I wasn't expecting that. I had to come in there, no expectations at all. And I was speaking to the people from Cups. And I'll mm-hmm. let you talk about Cups in a second. And um, they were like, yeah, they had a big, she, she has a big crowd. She's doing a great job. And they're speaking so highly of you. So kudos to you mm-hmm. for what you're doing right now. And I will tell you, I was, I was blown away. There were a lot of younger white people there. Mm-hmm. And that surprised me. Because I wasn't expecting that. I mm-hmm. wasn't. I was thinking there'd be more African-Americans participating in this for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's all across the city. But for me to see that, that made me feel a bit better. Because I said, you know what? We are, we all are in this together. Mm-hmm. We're all living in this city together. And the violence always tells me there's so many layers to it. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, that's a, I could do a whole seasonal podcast about that if I really wanted to. But mm-hmm. it's not, that's, at least that's for the millions of the world. They, they were, mm-hmm. they get paid for that. But, I, I, and I just wanted to let you know that it was amazing to see that Thank and you. just see that mm-hmm. diversity there. I really, that really, and when I came back and told people like, this is legit. Mm-hmm. Like I would never expect, but again, I didn't have any expectations going there. I didn't know what I was going to see. So mm-hmm. 
Cups. I've mentioned cups. I slid that in yeah, there. Yeah. What's cups? What's going on with you and cups? Come on. Yeah. So cups is, it's a coffee house. It's a social enterprise. Um, they just recently moved into my neighborhood, into Bella Edison um, this past November. Um, they've been around, I believe, since 2012. And so they are a coffee house, but they are also workforce development. They have a program called Project I Can, and they train um, young people between like 16 and 24 on how to run the business, like from all aspects of running the coffee shop so that when they get done with this training program, these folks are like management level, ready to do like management level jobs. And they've trained hundreds of youth across the city. And so they came to my neighborhood in November and I kind of just reached out to them. But number one, I was so excited to have a coffee shop on Bel Air Road that I can walk to my neighborhood. Just thrilled for that. And thrilled that it's a social enterprise. So when I'm sending, like spending my money, I'm directly helping, you know, young people in Baltimore. Like I love that. And so I just kind of reached out to them and was... Um, I'm, I'm part of a community group. We've started to have some of our meetings up there and I just kind of reached out to them. It was like, how can I support you? I started to do a weekly um, Runners for Justice run that we meet outside of Cups. We meet Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. just to do a couple of miles through the neighborhood. I figured I can't be, I'm already running a couple of mornings a week anyway. So I'm like, who wants to come run with me, run around the neighborhood? So we do that. Um, and then, yeah, they were generous enough to open up. I needed an indoor space, usually for my ceasefire runs. We run in Herring Run Park because I want people to get out and enjoy the park and experience the park. And um, during the warmer months, we just meet in the park. But for those November and February runs, I need an indoor space so people can hang out. Um, because before we do the run, we'll, um, we raise up the names of people who've lost their lives to violence in Baltimore. And we kind of take some time to honor them. And it's nice to have an indoor space to, to do that and to talk afterwards, too. And so I kind of approached Cuffs and said, hey, would you all, I know you guys aren't normally open on a Saturday, but would you be willing to do this? And they were like, absolutely. Just opened up for us from nine till noon on that Saturday morning so we could have a good space to host the event. That's real. Mm -hmm. I, I like hearing that. I like hearing the community involvement mm -hmm. and whatnot. That's a great thing to have. And where do you, where do most of the people come from running for justice? Are they located in this area or just give me a, like a demographics mm -hmm. of where your runners are coming from? Yeah. And so it's, it's a range. Like when I do the ceasefire events, it tends to pull a lot of folks from the neighborhood. Um, but with my monthly events, they move all over the city um, because I do different topics, different things that are happening in Baltimore. And I pick a meetup spot. I focus on trying to pick um, black owned businesses and um, if it's not black owned, then it's women owned, then it's locally owned. Like that's kind of to keep the money in the community. Um, and so it comes partly from like my friends. I have a lot of friends who are runners. And so my friends have been super supportive of coming out and running. And you mentioned Monica. Monica was actually one of those founding groups, founding uh, members of Runners for Justice, like when that small group of us got started. Okay. Um, so part of it comes from there. I think initially, especially, it was a lot of my running friends coming out and supporting me and saying like, we think this is a great idea. We want to come out and support you. And then from there, it's kind of spread mostly like word of mouth. I've reached out to other running groups or they've reached out to me. Um, I've done a couple of collaboration runs. I did one with Black Girls Run and did one with No Meat Athletes. So kind of getting the word out kind of through the running community and um, Back on My Feet. I have a lot of friends who run with Back on My Feet too who've come out to run with me. And I like that you were going through Heron Run Park. I like that mm -hmm. because this is for the Baltimore people and who are listening or from Maryland. There are more parks than Patterson Park. Mm -hmm. There's more parks than Federal Hill Park. There's a beautiful park. Drill Hill Park is beautiful. And you have Heron Run Park is beautiful. And there's more I can countless say. Mm -hmm. But I love that you're bringing light to parks, other parks than what you see on TV. Mm -hmm. Where they always, oh, go to Patterson Park. Northeast Baltimore has a lot of great things out here. So kudos to you for getting people together and doing that. Mm -hmm. Have you ever thought about um, meeting up with local 
Morgan State University, like cross country running teams or any college organizations so they can run for it. Like, and just say, hey, we're doing a thing. You guys want to hop in with us? Have you ever reached out? I haven't thought of that. that. That's an excellent idea, though. I've actually been talking with, there's um, two schools in the neighborhood, like an elementary and a middle school. Mm-hmm. And so I've been talking with them because they have a running club and a track team. And mm-hmm. we're sort of planning some events coming up. But the colleges, that would be excellent, too. Especially yeah. with Morgan being right in the neighborhood. Yeah, we're right in the neighborhood. Yeah. And that's, I just, I, I just, something to think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it'd be something that they could jump on and just, it's their city also. They, yeah. they, they go to school here and, you know, and then the schools that I did, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So what that, what thought did that come with? Cause a lot of schools don't, well, some schools have running clubs. Mm-hmm. Others don't, unfortunately. Uh, that's a great outlet for kids. Yeah. And is that what you guys are thinking along those lines? Yeah. I've been talking with, um, at Afia Middle School, I know this, the community school coordinator over there. So we've kind of had some conversations, bouncing things back and forth. They have a little like race that they do called the Afia Invitational, like every spring. And so we're talking about joining together and having Runners for Justice, bring some more community members out to support the run. And then I was talking also with the um, community school coordinator at Brems Lane Elementary, and they have like a little running club there um, for some of the older grades. And we're talking about doing an event together um, during a ceasefire weekend, having like a kids fun run. And there's also someone... Um, Creative City Public Charter. A friend of mine knows a person who works there and she heard about Runners for Justice and was like, let's try to do something in Park Heights around the ceasefire and running. So we're like in conversation trying to work that out too. So things just kind of spread. Like the word just spreads through people and it it can get big. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's what it's all about. And you you tell the great story about how it started, the reason behind it. Mm -hmm. Here's my question. What happens if Mr. Davis... Gets a retrial, mm-hmm. gets off, gets off. Does runner for justice? Does runner for justice that end? No, not at all. <laughs> People are gonna <laughs> ask all. that question. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really big case, but right. If that was one of the ones that pushed in with yeah. Kevin Plank and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Would you stop? Or no, would you we, keep we would on? have a big celebration run okay. and then move on to the next thing. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you, um, are there any law firms or groups that work with you guys? Uh, ACLU or anything like that? Stand for Runners for Justice? Anything like that? Okay. Yeah, so we don't have any formal partnerships, but I did recently do some work with the ACLU. Um, I'm connected to a group called the West Coalition. Um, which is headed by Tawanda Jones. Her brother, Tyrone West, was killed by Baltimore police in July of 2013. Um, and so she invited me to be a part. They were working on some legislation to end the practice of gag orders in Baltimore. So I joined through that and sort of on behalf of Runners for Justice, we worked and we all worked together to work with city council and we did pass um, the legislation. City council passed the legislation that ended gag orders in Baltimore. Nice. And so nice. ACLU was like key in helping write the legislation and like push it through. I love hearing these stories. I love hearing stories. Uh, what, as far as how do you have, what type of things for educate people about racial injustices in Baltimore? Is there anything that they can go out there and look? Is there anything on your website that links to stories and educational? Yeah, definitely on my Facebook page. I'm always sharing other people's information, articles, things that I come across. Um, for a long time, one of like the main sources of information for me was um Dr. Lawrence Brown, he was a professor at Morgan State who just moved from Baltimore to Wisconsin. And many of us in the activism community are very sad, but it's good for Wisconsin, sad for us. But um, yeah, Lawrence Brown, um, I guess for me is most famous for coining the phrase, the black butterfly. Um, And so he has done, and the coalitions he's been a part of have done a lot of work around the disparities in Baltimore. And so a lot of information 
um, I got from his work. Okay, okay. Um, what's some things you want to say, you know, to, to wrap this all up in a beautiful bow? Like, as far as we're running for justice, did we miss anything? I want to make sure, did we miss anything? No, I don't think you did. I want to make sure, because this is yeah, your organization. Yeah. I want to promote mm-hmm. it. I want people to understand outside of Maryland what we got going on here mm-hmm. and what you're doing. I have a lot of friends that are runners. You know, I'm sure they would want to run for, like, come down when they come in town, want to run with you guys. Uh, are you guys doing any, um, like, 5Ks or anything like that, wearing your shirts, putting money towards certain causes? Anything like that going on? Yeah, yeah. So aside of, like, their monthly runs are always the last Sunday of the month. Um, so I post them on the Instagram, on the Facebook page. People can follow it there. But, yeah, we actually are taking next month. Um, we have two teams that are going to do the Selma to Montgomery Relay. In March, and so it's it's the 51 miles that the Martin Luther King and the other um, you know activists and civil rights heroes walked. They walked it over three days from Selma to Montgomery. We're going to be running it, you know, within 12 hours um, with two different teams. But they've been doing this run for a few years now, and so we're organizing to take a couple teams to go do that. All right, I'm I'm, I'm going to do something I normally never do. Say that one more time for the people in back. You are doing a Selma to Montgomery run. Mm-hmm. How'd you find out about this? I honestly, I was looking for, whenever I travel somewhere, I like to do a run when I'm going there. And so I'd wanted to go to Montgomery to visit the um, Equal Justice Initiative Museum and the Lynching Memorial. And so just out of curiosity, I was like, what races happened around there? If I'm going to go for a weekend, I'd like to run while I'm there. And so that's how I came across the Selma to Montgomery Relay and kind of put it out to the group, like who else is interested. And so we have two teams of four that are going next month to run those 51 miles. Wow. Congratulations on that. Congratulations. That, that's wow. Where can people find your guys' information on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those mediums? Where can they find, this is your time to plug every place they can find you. And there you go. You're, you take this. Absolutely. Yeah. On Facebook and Instagram, it's the same. It's at Runners for Justice with the number four. Um, Runners for Justice, and then on Twitter, it's at Bmore R for J. Okay, okay. And how often do you guys update it a lot? Do you guys refresh and with stories and whatnot? Yes, absolutely. Twitter, I'm not as as much on. I'm usually retweeting a lot of things, but as far as content with what's coming up, um, Instagram and Facebook, those are all very very current. Okay, all right. So Miss Gretchen, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you educating me and the audience about Runners for Justice, how it started, where it's going, and also with the major court case with Mr. Keith Davis that is wrapping up February 28th again with the verdict, and hopefully we get some good news from this story. And people, if you have a chance, check it out. Google Keith Davis. Look up the story on, on the undefeated. Uh, undisclosed. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. Undefeated. Yeah. Undisclosed. Yeah. And um, is there anything else you want to say to the audience right now while you have this time? Is there anything you want to say or... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're if you're a runner, come out and join us. And even if you're a walker, um, we actually have a group. I call it my Runners for Justice walking team. We've got some walkers who come out, and I do a shorter route for the walkers so that we all kind of finish up at the same time. So definitely check us out. Come on out and um, and run with us. And you're going to Dovecoat tomorrow, right? Yes, tomorrow, 9 a.m., Dovecoat Cafe. Won't, it won't be out by that time, but Dovecoat <laughs> mm-hmm. is, is a cool place. I actually did a, op- a live podcast there, so Dovecoat's really awesome. cool. Yeah, we've run from there a few times, and tomorrow's run is all about celebrating Baltimore civil rights here. So we're going to be running through West Baltimore and highlighting different civil rights heroes that were based in West Baltimore. And this podcast, just so you know, will be out for Women's History Month, just awesome. so you know. So mm-hmm. I'm doing all women for the month of, women, of March. Cool. So I'm making sure highlighting what you guys are doing in the stories and making sure that it's out there, okay? All right, thank you. All right, thank you so much, folks. We are out. Have a good one.